Chapter twenty two of Famous Assassinations of History by Francis Johnson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty two Assassination of Abraham Lincoln, April fourteenth, eighteen sixty five. In the annals of this nation, no tragedy more pathetic has been recorded than the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, President of the United States. The Civil War, which had divided the country into two hostile camps for four years, and had laid waste the southern states of the Union, or the Confederate States of America, to designate them by the name they adopted, was at an end. General Lee had surrendered the Army of Virginia, the flower of the Confederate fighting forces, to General Grant at Appomattox Courthouse, and while General Johnston's army in North Carolina and a few separate minor corps still remained in the field, Lee's surrender was generally construed as the termination of the long and cruel war, and joy ruled supreme throughout the North. Liberty had triumphed, and four million slaves had been emancipated. The surrender of Lee took place on the 8th of April, 1865. On the following day, President Lincoln visited the late capital of the Confederacy. He traversed the city in all directions, and everywhere he manifested the kindest disposition towards the South, and expressed the wish that all traces of the unfortunate war should disappear as soon as possible, and that cordial relations between the two sections of the country should be re-established at once very likely there was not a man in all the northern states happier at the prospect of a lasting peace than abraham lincoln his great and noble heart sensitive as a woman's had been bleeding for years at the sight of the gigantic fratricidal war of which providence had made him the most conspicuous figure but five weeks before he had entered upon his second presidential term and in his inaugural address he had foreshadowed the policy of leniency and moderation which he intended to show to the rebels in case of the final victory of the union armies that address revealed the true inwardness of the great man it was spoken with an eloquence peculiarly his own it was full of thought sweetness firmness unswerving fidelity to duty high morality made more impressive even by the simplicity and originality of language at the same time it breathed a tenderness for the vanquished which made it almost an olive branch tendered to those who were still in arms against the government and inviting them to return to the hearthstones of the nation of which they had been the favored sons and daughters for nearly a century although the triumph of the union and its armies was already in sight as an event of the near future nothing in that address indicated boastfulness and supercilious pride no arrogance no pompous reference to the superiority of the north in heroism or exploits on the contrary the president humbles himself before the decrees of the almighty he confesses the great national crime and the justice of the immense punishment in the tone of sadness pervading the beautiful oration there is almost the presentiment of death and that supreme resignation which sometimes takes possession of the soul on the verge of the grave already he had planned a proclamation of pardon a general amnesty excluding none a full and complete restoration of concord and brotherhood between the north and the south when all at once the terrible news lincoln has been assassinated lincoln is dead flashed over the telegraph wires and filled the whole north with terror 
as if nothing was to be wanting to make this gigantic civil war a tragedy to both sides the man whose very name was the embodiment of liberty and the symbol of emancipation and who more than any other man had contributed to the great triumph had to succumb at the moment of victory the election of abraham lincoln had given the signal for the organization and outbreak of the slaveholders rebellion and it was certainly a remarkable coincidence that the tolling of the church bells in towns and cities through which lincoln's funeral train slowly wended its way from the capital to his western home was heard simultaneously with the news of the collapse of that rebellion and of the final extinction of human slavery on american soil this coincidence was almost providential and if the great emancipator could have chosen his own time for his death he certainly could not have made a more appropriate and glorious choice he became so to speak the hero of the great epic of the civil war one of the greatest the world had seen and his tragical death marked the conclusion of the strife in the eyes of the fanatical advocates of the southern cause abraham lincoln had always held this prominent position as the principal author of the feud dividing the north and the south and it is therefore not surprising that some of these fanatics had formed a conspiracy to assassinate him and some of his most intimate advisers about a week after mr lincoln's visit at richmond this plot was to be executed on the fourteenth of april eighteen sixty five an especially brilliant performance was to be given at ford's theatre washington and mr lincoln general grant and mr stanton secretary of war were expected to be present in fact the washington newspapers of that date had announced that they would be present but at the very last moment general grant was compelled to leave washington and go north mr stanton being overburdened with business and unable to find time to go to the theatre remained at his office and only mr lincoln went accompanied by mrs lincoln and a few friends his appearance was the signal for a grand ovation he seemed to follow the presentation of the play with close attention and great interest the third act had just commenced when the audience was startled by the sound of a pistol shot proceeding from the president's box at the same moment a man appeared in the foreground of that box jumped upon the balustrade and thence down to the stage shouting sic semper tyrannis in leaping from the box one of the man's spurs got entangled with the flag with which mr lincoln's box was decorated he fell and broke a leg but immediately recovering himself and getting on his feet he had sufficient presence of mind and power of will to make his escape he knocked down those who tried to stop him ran through the aisles of the scenery jumped upon a horse which was kept in readiness for him by an accomplice and disappeared in the darkness of the night this man who with lightning-like rapidity had appeared on the stage and disappeared from it was the murderer of abraham lincoln and the murder had been committed so suddenly that the great majority of the audience even after his flight were in profound ignorance of what had happened it was then only that the cries of horror the loud lamentations of mrs lincoln and of the other persons in the president's box conveyed to the awe-stricken audience the news of the tragedy which had occurred in their midst the president shot through the head from behind had lost consciousness immediately and the blood oozed slowly from the wound however life was not extinct 
and immediately the hope arose that Mr. Lincoln's life might be saved. He was carried into a neighboring house, and the best surgeons were called to his assistance. But alas, the murderer's ball, having passed through the cerebellum, had pierced the cerebrum, and the wound was fatal beyond all hope. Mr. Lincoln died early in the morning without having regained consciousness. The North had lost its greatest citizen, and the South its best friend. While this murder was being committed at Ford's Theater, another assassin entered the residence of Secretary of State William H. Seward, who had been seriously injured by an accident a few days before. The assassin pretended to be the bearer of a medical prescription and demanded to be admitted to the room of the patient. The servant refused to admit him, but was rudely pushed aside, whereupon the visitor, who evidently was familiar with the location of the rooms, burst into the one where Mr. Seward was lying ill in bed, rushed toward him, seriously wounded Mr. Seward's son, who threw himself in his way, and thereupon engaged the invalid in a furious combat, stabbing him several times. In spite of his disability, the secretary defended himself bravely and fought with the courage of despair, until at last the assassin, after having badly cut and disfigured his face, made his escape. As has been stated already, the plan of the conspirators was to kill not only President Lincoln, but other prominent men, such as Andrew Johnson, the new vice president, Secretary Seward, Secretary Stanton, and General Grant. On several occasions the assassins had been on the point of perpetrating these murders, but always unforeseen circumstances had occurred and prevented them. At last this gala performance at Ford's Theater seemed to invite them to execute their plot, and they resolved to assassinate Lincoln, Grant, and Stanton at the theater, and Seward and Johnson at their private residences. By removing these five men, the assassins hoped to decapitate the Republic itself, and imagined that very likely during the terror and confusion which these assassinations would cause, the Southern rebels would take up arms again and capture Washington City. But only one of the five victims designated was killed. Alas, it was the most illustrious one of the five, while the others escaped owing to fortuitous circumstances. As to the murder of Lincoln, who was identified as John Wilkes Booth, it was ascertained that he had been inspired by an implacable and sincere fanaticism. Son of a celebrated English tragedian who had lived several years in the United States, John Wilkes Booth was himself an actor of considerable ability, who had frequently played on the very stage which he was to desecrate by one of the most infamous assassinations of modern times young handsome eloquent and audacious as he was booth had a certain prestige among his companions and great success with the ladies of his profession he was an enthusiastic democrat became a prominent member of the knights of the golden circle and believed in the divine origin of the institution of slavery he had been among the lynchers of john brown and frequently boasted of his participation in that crime he often expressed the wish that all such abolitionists should die on the gallows. He and some others, equally extreme in their views on the slavery question, met frequently at the house of Mrs. Surratt, who was also fanatically devoted to the Southern cause, and concocted there the plot to murder the President and his associates. 
After having performed the part of the plot which he had reserved for himself, the assassination of the president, with almost incredible boldness, Booth fled to Virginia. He had intended to continue his flight until he had reached the extreme south and possibly Mexico, but his injury prevented him from carrying out this plan. In company with one of his accomplices, he hid himself in an isolated barn on the banks of the Rappahannock, hoping that as soon as the first storm of indignation had blown over, the search for the murderer would gradually relax, if not cease altogether, and that he would then have an opportunity to escape. But in this calculation he was mistaken. A roving detachment of Federal soldiers discovered him in his hiding place during the night of the 26th of April. His companion, realizing that all resistance would be useless, surrendered immediately. But Booth wanted to sell his life as dearly as possible. He tried to break out and escape from his pursuers, but a pistol shot brought him down with a fatal wound in his head, from which he soon afterwards died. The assassin who had assaulted and seriously wounded Secretary Seward had, a few days before, been captured at Mrs. Surratt's house. The effect of Mr. Lincoln's assassination on the people of the North was indescribable. It filled their hearts with bitterness and their minds with thoughts of revenge. It was averred that the murderer, in crossing the stage of the theater and defiantly brandishing a long knife, had exclaimed, The South is revenged! This exclamation seemed to implicate the whole South, or at least its government, in the murderous act of Booth. The natural consequence was that the people of the North, who immediately after the surrender of Lee's army were inclined to great leniency toward the vanquished and willing to receive them back into the Union with open arms, suddenly turned against them. The army and the government circles, and in fact the entire population of the national capital, who had learned to love Mr. Lincoln, demanded the most severe punishment for the rebels. Then began the long and tedious work of reconstruction, retarded by party spirit and retaliatory measures on both sides. It was terminated to the satisfaction of both only during the last few years, when the sons of the South fought shoulder to shoulder with the sons of the North for the deliverance of Cuba from Spanish oppression under the glorious banner of the Union. But how often, during these years of contention, was the great man missed, whose truly humane spirit would have contributed so much to bring the discordant elements of both sections together in fraternal harmony and mutual respect, and whose hands had penned the noblest document of the nineteenth century, the Proclamation of Emancipation, setting free four million slaves. Such deeds as his can never be forgotten. The assassination did a great deal for Mr. Lincoln's standing in history. It added the halo of martyrdom to his renown as a statesman, and it has made him a national hero who, next to Washington, or with Washington, holds the highest place in the estimation of the American people. It is doubtful whether Abraham Lincoln, if he had not crowned his career with a martyr's death, would have held this place. It had especially the effect of wiping out an impression which many had formed of Mr. Lincoln's character, and which, during the first years of his presidential term, lowered him considerably in the eyes of the people. His southern enemies and detractors made a great deal of Mr. Lincoln's undignified bearing, his lack of tact, 
his mania for telling funny stories in and out of season and the northern democrats were only too busy repeating and circulating these stories because they could not forgive lincoln for having beaten their idol stephen arnold douglas mr lincoln's distinction was his strong originality and self-reliance as a young man with no adviser to guide him through the hardships and embarrassments of life he took counsel with his own mind which fortunately was of peculiar depth rich in resources and the advice he received from this consultation the instruction he gained by this appeal to the fund of his own knowledge and experience served him splendidly as schooling for the task which was in store for him and joined to this self-education nature had bestowed on him some of her rarest gifts humor kind genial and peculiarly humane blending tears with laughter and a mother wit almost ready to make fun of his own misfortunes and shortcomings and to joke away any embarrassing situation in which either untoward circumstances or his own mistakes might have placed him in addition to all this he possessed that truly american characteristic shrewdness which far from being an objectionable quality with him was modified by his kindness of heart and his moral uprightness in that great and distinctly english book robinson crusoe we find a young englishman in consequence of a shipwreck thrown upon a deserted island in mid-ocean he is cut off from civilization and its resources and thrown upon his own ingenuity to carve out a living for himself which to a degree at least comes up to the experience which he has had while living in civilized society a few tools and instruments which he saves from the wrecked ship are the only thing to assist him in the building up of his future life yet by industry shrewdness and perseverance he really succeeds in making that life not only tolerable but to a degree comfortable possibly the trying circumstances in which young robinson was placed whetted and sharpened his wits strengthened his nerve and inspired him with enough confidence to become equal to his difficult task at all events he succeeded and the book narrating his experience his trials and his sufferings form one of the most delightful and at the same time one of the most instructive books for young or old ever written its educational value can hardly be overestimated it may be said that robinson crusoe is but a novel and that his adventures and achievements all originated in the fertile mind of daniel defoe but even if it was so which is by no means proven the feat of defoe's genius shows that a young man of strong character and full of resources with an ideal placed before his mental eye can find the means to raise himself to a higher level than he could have reached under ordinary circumstances and without the stimulating influence of personal hardships and pressing necessity it was so with abraham lincoln the means of education which the wild west offered to him were of the most elementary kind but his innate genius and energy knew how to make them serviceable to the high aim and to the ideals which he had proposed to himself the loneliness of the primeval forest in which his childhood was passed fostered the tendency to reverie and thoughtfulness which formed one of the principal traits of his character an american boy in the full meaning of the word 
he learned to love and appreciate that union from which the west expected its development and on which it depended as on the natural source of its future greatness as if to prepare him for the great part he was to act in american history he was made to see at an early day the wrongs and cruelties of slavery his pure mind which had been strengthened and refined by immediate contact with nature felt the stain which soiled the american name and flag as he went down the mississippi river on a flatboat and became witness of a slave auction where family ties were brutally torn asunder he vowed to himself to do his share as a man and citizen to wipe out that wrong against humanity how nobly he redeemed that vow and how cruelly he suffered for redeeming it we have told in the preceding pages and the crown of immortality is his just reward if we should wish to compare the great martyr president with any historical personage of preceding ages it would be henry the fourth of france while unquestionably there were many differences in their traits of character they have nevertheless so many traits in common that the comparison is in our opinion a decidedly just one both were placed in leading positions at a time when their country was torn up by civil war in the case of henry the fourth religion or rather protestantism was the cause of the fratricidal strife in the case of abraham lincoln it was negro slavery both were enlisted in the cause of humanity and progress it is true henry the fourth renounced protestantism to win a crown in the possession of which he alone could hope to render immortal service to the protestant church and the principle upon which it is founded religious toleration and by the promulgation of the edict of nantes he gloriously performed the historical task which providence had allotted to him abraham lincoln was willing to make any sacrifice for the maintenance of the american union for only as president of the united states and as conqueror of the rebellious south could he hope to become the champion of the abolition of negro slavery he was fortunate enough to live through the gigantic civil war and cleo the muse of history has entered in imperishable letters on the asbestos leaves of our national annals his immortal declaration of the emancipation of the black race as two great reformers they will both live in history henry the fourth as the embodiment of the principle of religious toleration lincoln as the evangelist of negro emancipation it is a strange coincidence that these two great men were endowed by nature with so many analogous traits but rarely found in other great men both had a keen relish for humor fun and wit and indulged this taste under the most trying circumstances both were lenient and forgiving to a fault both displayed statesmanship and executive ability of a high order and if henry the fourth has won greater laurels as a warrior lincoln has crowned his great life with the glory of being a great orator mankind has grown better by having produced these two men End of chapter twenty two